When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it plunged the entire world into sin. But is it reversible? Let's talk about it next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Glad you could make it. We'll be continuing the study in Romans and cover some more ground in chapter 5. You remember the story from Sunday school, I'm sure. Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the forbidden fruit in the garden, but they did. And because of that one sinful act, it brought sin, death, and condemnation into the world. But I'm happy to say what Adam did to the human race is reversible. And today's study will make that abundantly clear. Here's Pastor Ed. Take your Bibles, would you open them to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. As we look at what Adam did to the human race, Adam and Eve making critical decisions in the garden, and one of the decisions that Eve makes and Adam makes plunges the whole world, all of humanity, into sin. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to live in a time when there's no sin. I mean, none whatsoever, no sin. None, your life untouched, untainted by sin. I mean, there's no struggle in sin. There's no temptations. The flesh isn't lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh because there is no sin. No sinful nature directing to sin. No struggle. Everything's just perfect. Everything's the way it was meant to be. And when we think of that, don't we look forward? We look forward to the hope because in 1 John chapter 3, we're told that when we see Jesus face to face, we will be like him. We will know like him. We will be like him. We'll be in a place where we are untouched by sin. But not only just looking forward in hope, we also have to look backward to a place called the Garden of Eden. Do you know the Garden of Eden was a place that was untouched by sin? Adam and Eve living in the garden, untouched, untainted by sin. You can jot it down in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. It says, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were called the sixth day. He places both Adam and Eve in a perfect garden to live a perfect life in harmony and in fellowship with him. And before the fall, that's exactly what they did. They lived in perfect harmony, untouched by sin whatsoever. They entered into a perfect world. It's amazing to even think about how wonderful it would be to live apart from sin. But now, before we go any further, though, we need to be careful. And I need to answer a question, because there may be some of you here today listening or tune in on the radio that immediately have put up a wall to the point where you said, now, now, come on, Ed, you don't believe in a literal Garden of Eden, do you? I mean, really, do you believe in a literal Adam and a literal Eve? 
And I know that there are those that are listening in that go, hey, hey, hasn't science disproven that? I mean, aren't we a lot smarter today than we were back then? Don't we know that, hey, the Garden of Eden couldn't exist, and Adam and Eve, well, uh, they're allegory. It's just a fairy tale. God told us a story, but it's not a true story. He wanted us to learn from the story all sorts of wonderful truths, but the story itself, come on, Ed, you really don't believe in that, do you? Well, listen. Do I believe in a literal Adam? Do I believe in a literal Eve? Do I believe in a literal garden? Do I believe in a literal devil? Yes. Yes, I do. You see, the battle isn't this science and the, and, you know, it's now what we have found in science and what people believe in the Bible. And, and, and don't fall into that trap when you're talking to people. Like, they try to frame the arguments in such a way where they're only going to win. Well, you just have that blind faith. That's, you have blind faith, so your blind faith requires you to believe in a literal garden and a literal Eve and a literal Adam. But, but, you know, those of us that don't have a blind faith, those of us that follow more intellectual streams of thought, well, we know better, don't we? Listen. I believe that the story of Adam and Eve is literal and it's real. They were real human beings living in a real place, tempted by a real devil, and therefore helped by the real grace of a real God. It's not a battle between science and the Bible. No, not at all. Let me show you the real battle. Flip over to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. You see, Jesus himself believed in a literal garden, in a literal Adam, in a literal Eve. Jesus himself. And so in Mark chapter 10, understand the battle isn't science in the Bible or faith in science or any of the types of things that would be very easy for us to step back and come to that place where we think, well, you know, I don't need to believe in that kind of thing. The issue is very simple. The issue is actually very, very simple. Look at Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 6. It says, but from the beginning, this is Jesus speaking, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That settles it. Jesus believed in a literal garden, in a literal Adam, and a literal Eve. Now, don't you think Jesus would know? Don't you think he would understand? Don't you think being the creator himself, that he would be an authority that we can trust? Jesus? See, the battle is whether you believe what Jesus said or not. And so now when you put it in that context and somebody says, well, well, I don't believe Jesus, and before it comes out of their lips, they understand. The issue is not with me. Their issue is with Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Do you know what that does? That opens up a whole new avenue. It opens up a whole new outlet to share with someone the wonderful love and grace of Jesus Christ. So what happened with Adam and Eve in the garden? Well, flip back to Genesis chapter 3. What happened with them? They were put into this perfect garden, perfect conditions, given freedom to do almost anything that they wanted to do. And remember, it's apart from sin. They weren't given the uh, freedom to do just one thing, just one thing. They weren't given freedom to eat of a particular fruit from a particular tree. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Pause there just for a second. Understand that is a constant temptation of Satan in your life. Has God really said that? You're in a Bible study right now. You hear the word being taught. It hits your heart. It goes to your mind, funnels down to your heart. You want to make a decision, and then the enemy's going to tempt you. Is you sure that's what God says? Are you sure that's what he means? 
Are you sure that's really for you? Do you really have to be that radical? Do you have to really be that crazy for Jesus? I mean, can't you just go halfway? Are you sure that's what God said? It's a constant temptation. It's always coming at us. There are whole entire groups of people right now that God is, God is allowed to happen through the enemy trying to take the Bibles away from you. It's amazing. There are whole churches that don't involve the Bible on Sunday morning. You think, are you sure, Ed? I'm sure. I'm positive. Has God really said that? Well, I don't know because I don't have a Bible in my lap. You need one. And you need to know it. And you need to live it. And you need to see it in your life. Because when the enemy comes and says, has indeed God said, you need to be able to give a good, strong answer. Yes, I know what God's word has said. And so the temptation comes to them. Has God really said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now Eve kind of buys into the temptation. Like my whole thing is, what is she talking to the devil for in the first place, you know? Hello, Eve. Hello, Eve. This is like the devil. And the other thing I said, where's her husband? Where's her covering? He sidestepped the covering. Ladies, you've got to be careful. Guys, you really need to be careful in your marriage. As the enemy wants to sidestep that covering, he wants to work around. He wants to get us isolated and alone so the temptations can come and seem much bigger. I mean, you think back in verse 1, has God indeed said? I mean, wouldn't it be great if, I mean, what, what do you think it sounded like? Do you think, has God indeed said? Or could it sound like really evil? Has God indeed said? Wouldn't that be great if every lie came to you like that? So, Go ahead and go sin. Go ahead and go sin. And you're like, ah, that's a lie, man. I don't need to hear it. I'm not going there. But lies don't sound like that, do they? Lies sound very much like the truth. Lies are often the truth wrapped with a lie. Where the hook, that's what a false teacher does, hooks you with the truth and then opens your mouth and then pours all of that lie into your life. It would be much better if we could just know the lie when it's coming because it sounds different, but it doesn't. And so, you know, verse 4, And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Again, that was a lie. Because God said they would die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so the battle is, the temptation comes to you and I to come against God. Oh, I don't believe a garden of you. I don't believe in Adam and Eve. Well, you're coming up against God when you start saying things like that. You're coming up against his word, the sure and steadfast word. And this whole lie... Well, look at verse 6. So then the woman saw. You might want to mark the word saw. Just circle it. That the tree was good. Circle the word good for food. That it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable. Circle that word desirable to make one wise. You know why? Because this is a perfect picture of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life sinking a person. She started thinking about it. She started looking. Oh, wow, food. It looks great. Pretty, pretty, pretty fruit. And oh, yeah, you know, it's good for food. It's pleasant to the eyes. I want it. It's desirable. Lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The same things that the enemy is still throwing our way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Well, and notice, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And to that I say, thanks a lot, Adam. Appreciate it. Why didn't you knock it out of her hands and put her in time out? I mean, what are you doing? <laughs> Guys, you don't have permission to do that with your wives. Just say no. 
But she took it, he took it, and then, verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open, they knew that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves coverings. They ran away from God. In the moment that they took it, they began to die, just as God said they would. They willingly rebelled against the word of God. Back to Romans chapter 5 now. With that understanding, we have some theological truths that come with this fall in the garden. And they all center around the man, Adam. I guess we could say, as human beings, we are all part of the Adam's family. Isn't that a great thought? (laughs) We're all connected to Adam. And so with that, look at verse 12. We'll pick up where we left off in Romans. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed... When there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. You don't have to eat of the same exact fruit that Adam did in order to follow the line of Adam. Adam and Eve were human beings, and when they reproduced, what did they reproduce? Humans. They were sinful human beings when they reproduced, so when they reproduced children, what did they reproduce? Sinful human beings. That's the connection. And so, He's a type, it says in verse 14, you might want to mark that, of him who was to come. But, verse 15, the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift, verse 16, is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation, Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A great comparison here. Think of the Garden of Eden. Think of Adam in the Garden of Eden as your representative, my representative. He was a human representing all of the human race. His one life would take the human race in one of two directions, either toward God or away from God. And so as our representative, some have referred to Adam as our federal head, the representative of all mankind. It's very much the same thing as when you and I vote. When we participate in the voting process, what do we do? But we vote for someone to represent us. Now, sometimes they represent us well. Sometimes they don't represent us well. But when you cast that vote, what you're saying is, I want to send this person into the government so that they might speak for me. They might speak for a much larger group. Well, that's what Adam is doing in the garden. He's speaking as a representative for a much larger group, all of humanity. When he sinned, it wasn't just as a man, it was as the man. And Adam was our man, so that when he sinned, we sinned. Now, I know that some at this point might say, now, wait a minute, that doesn't sound very fair. It doesn't sound very fair. How can God condemn the whole world just because of one man's disobedience? 
Well, let me suggest to you that not only was it fair, but it was incredibly gracious in being the plan of God. That through one man's disobedience, all of mankind fell into sin, so that, as we see in the contrast in this section, by one man, many could be made righteous. So it's the one man that's fallen, and the new man, Jesus Christ, by faith in him, that new life can come. The truth is this, that if you and I took Adam's place in the garden, we would have done the same thing. Oh, no, Pastor, I know better. I would never fall into that. I would see that fruit. I would never go by that tree. I would never go touch that tree. I would, whatever. <laughs> of course we would. Given the opportunity, temptations come, and given the right temptation at the right timing, all of us would fall. Did you hear that? All of us, not you guys and not me, and not me and not you, all of us. Given the right timing and the right temptation, all of us would fall without Jesus Christ. I mean, he's our strength, and he's our hope, and he's our help. By condemning the whole human race through one man, Adam, God was then able to save the human race by one man, Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, let me show you a few things that happened with Adam in the world. It's very important that you understand this as you follow through what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12. There's a few things that we learn. Number one, Adam's failure brought sin into the world. You know, sometimes I'll ask, well, did God create evil? It's a very easy answer. No, he did not create evil. Sin is in the world because of Adam. Adam ushered sin in. Look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. So how did sin enter the world? Through one man. What's his name? Adam. Very easy answer. Sin came into the world because of Adam. Look at verse 19. For as one man's disobedience, many were made what? Sinners. Many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Jot it down. Psalm 51, verse 5. The psalmist writes, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Everyone is born with a sinful nature. In my sin, my mother conceived me, the psalmist. Everyone's born with a sinful nature. Sin entered the world, and Adam ushered it in. Number two, Adam's failure brought death into the world. Adam's failure brought death into the world. Back to verse 12 of Romans 5. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him was to come. See, it wasn't the law that revealed that. It, it wasn't someone revealing sin. When you watched someone die, it was a reminder that sin was in the world. There's three types of death that the Bible speaks of. You can jot them down. Death, by way of definition, simply means separation. That's all that death means. And so when you look at these, you understand the first type of death the Bible speaks of is spiritual death. Spiritual death. Adam was immediately cut off from God spiritually. The word means to separate. And immediately Adam was separated from God because of his sin. So Paul then writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, of the person apart from God, and he made, he you made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's the condition of man apart from God. Believers, you were made alive. You used to be dead in your trespasses and sins. Why? Because of Adam. Because of Adam's transgression. Number two is physical death. Physical death. We see that all around us. Physical death is the dictator to which every man, woman must bow. 
And the world has become one huge graveyard because of sin. God never intended the world to be a place of death, but because of Adam's choice, that's exactly what it is. We all die. We all separate from these bodies. Believers separate from these bodies with the glorious hope that the moment you are absent from the body, you are present with the Lord immediately. And the third type of death is eternal death. Eternal death. This can only be avoided if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Eternal death is spiritual death forever. That's eternal death. That's separation from God forever. To forever live apart from God, your Creator. Eternal death in Revelation chapter 21 is called the second death. But to those who believe, the Bible says the second death has no power. And thirdly, Adam's failure, not only did it bring sin into the world, not only did it bring death into the world, but Adam's failure brought condemnation into the world. Condemnation. Look at verse 16 now. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for judgment which came from the offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Condemnation. Condemnation from sin is one of, if not the heaviest burdens for a human being to carry. Any of you that have had to deal with condemnation know exactly what I'm talking about. The weight of guilt is almost unbearable. It's really what God uses to draw a person to himself. That weight is so unbearable that there's a conviction of sin and a realization that, God, you can forgive me, but I'll tell you, I meet a lot of Christians that carry around condemnation too. And not too many weeks from now as we study through Romans, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, and we'll spend a glorious time in Romans 8 learning the truth that there is no condemnation for the believer. But condemnation is heavy, and you can blame condemnation on Adam. You're listening to a study in Romans 5 from Pastor Ed Taylor, and this is Abounding Grace. You can hear this message again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, we learned today that Adam's failure brought sin, death, and condemnation into the world. And you'll go on to point out on Monday that what Adam did to the human race is reversible. Would you briefly explain that? Yes, Larry. What Adam did to the human race is reversible because Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that no longer do we have to live under the burden and bondage and slavery to sin, but now we can live in the freedom that's given to us and the forgiveness and the removal of guilt from our lives by the blood of Jesus Christ. And for anyone that would turn their lives toward Jesus today, listen, if that's you and you want to experience the forgiveness of your sins, you listening right now, man, woman, boy, girl, mom, dad, single mom, single dad, whatever role you have in life, if that's you and you would like to receive the forgiveness of your sins, I would, I'm asking you to pray with me, okay? You can say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you, and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I submit my life to following you from this day forward. Help me, God, to turn my life away from sin and towards you. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. So anyone listening that prayed with me, go to our website, calvaryaurora.org. There's a tab there that says how to know God. And right there at the resource tab, all the information we give to new believers is right there because that's what you need. You need to know that God loves you and what do you do next? And actually, you can go to our radio website as well, aboundinggraceradio.com, and I see the tab, How to Know God, and it's right there. You can register your decision with us, download and print all our resources out for free, and tell somebody about what God has done in your life. Thanks for asking, Larry. Great question. God bless you guys. Look forward to joining again on our Monday broadcast. Thanks for sharing that, Pastor Ed. We look forward to an elaboration on Monday. And please remember that Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We look to the Lord for provision. When you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Warren Wiersbe's book on being a servant of God. This is a must-read for anyone who desires to serve the Lord and be involved in ministry. In it, he invites ministry leaders to listen in on 30 short armchair chats that will no doubt encourage and inspire them for service. You might even want to go through this with your small group at church. To order a copy today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing done for me. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.